You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 90th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, I have a friend and associate professor, Dr. Anasuya Jagadevi Jagathisan. She is currently the director of the Center for Human Excellence and Development, as well as the program director for the Masters of Counseling at Taylor's University School of Liberal Arts and Sciences. She's a certified trainer in reality therapy and a thanatologist. Dr. Anasuya has co-edited a book on multicultural counseling, application of improved mental health services, as well as she developed therapy cards called Journey Through Life to be used in sessions. Welcome, Anasuya, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. The first question I want to ask you is, what does a thanatologist do? A thanatologist is basically, it's on the word, okay, everybody knows Thanos. I mean, if we watched Avengers, you know what Thanos is. Sure. It refers to death. So thanatologist is somebody who studies death and everything linked to death. So basically what it means is I do a lot of work on grief and loss and all those nice stuff. Do you also do work about and around suicide? Yes, I do a lot of work around suicide. My current research, which, you know, I have a paper up, which is on suicide because I've had family members who've had suicided. So it is an area that is very close to my heart. Yeah, I've done a lot of work on suicide. Do you find that suicide is particularly a challenge with college students since that's where you're working these days? Yes and no, because what, because I'm working in a university, you get a lot of cases from the university. In fact, I've even been on the roof of the university to get somebody and talk somebody down and we successfully talk somebody down. But that wasn't a student, that was a worker in the kiosk. Mm. So while we do have cases of students in the university, It's a mirror of what happens outside the university. And universities tend to be microcosms of the macrocosm because you've got so many students there and you've got such an intensity of experiences and learning and interaction that what we see in a university is a microcosm. And outside, you still get the same amount of drama. You still get the same amount of suicide cases and people who are alone. The thing about university also is therapy is free for students. So then they're more willing to come for therapy. And of course, if you're working and you're doing other stuff or you don't have the money and you're outside, it may be harder for you to get the help that you need. That does make a lot of sense. What drew you to this kind of work? My youngest brother, he completed suicide. At that point in time, there was so little help and people were saying the wrong thing and people didn't know what to say. The staff people made it so much worse. Mm. So one of the major things when I started work, after the suicide, you have this period where you don't want to see suicidal clients because, you know, you know, you've been traumatized a bit. But then, of course, that's the universe. That's what the universe sends you. So (laughs) it is what it is. The universe happened to send a few clients my way. And once I started working with it, once I started looking at it within myself, healing myself from it, and then working with suicide, I discovered that. Yeah, I hate to say I'm pretty good at it. I don't know how else to put it. But so far, none of my clients have completed suicide. And I've been in this industry now for 20 years. 
And I've seen a lot of suicidal clients and they're still around. I know a lot of it has got to do with luck or God or, you know, however you want to put it. But maybe a little bit is also the fact that somehow or another I'm, I'm able to connect with the clients and that helps. Yeah, I'm sure that that's right. I say that the number one thing in therapy is about the relationship you build with your clients. It's not about what kind of techniques you use. And I'm sure that having been through the situation yourself, you are able to create an environment with your clients that feels safe and where they can really open up and share what's going on. That is a calling. And I'm really sorry about your brother, but I suspect that that has propelled you to be the therapist you are today working in this field. That's amazing. Taking a tragedy and turning it into something that really helps other people. That's what a lot of counselors do. It is, isn't it? (laughs) That's right. I know that COVID has been a thing around the globe. You are in Malaysia. What's it been like for you there, especially as part of the university? I'm sure you must have protocols and students who are isolated and alone, or maybe they're sick. I don't know. Tell me about COVID on college campuses in Malaysia. What campus? We've shut down. Everything's online. You know, okay. It's not like we've had almost two years of having everything online with just limited classes face-to-face. I hate it. I genuinely hate it. I like seeing my students. I like lecturing face-to-face. I mean, I do a fairly good job online, but it's not the same thing. COVID has been a train wreck of watching politicians make a mess out of everything and human beings just surviving. It's been hard. The mental health cases have gone up. We've had a lot of phone counseling, free therapy. We've had a lot of clients reach out from the Malaysian Counseling Associations, the Satuan Counselor, Malaysia Pakama, or our board of counselors, even the government got in with the board of counselors to do free counseling. We put care lines out there and it has had a huge response. People need connections. People feel lonely. One of the major scary part is domestic violence that's gone up because people are trapped. Because in Malaysia, when we have lockdowns, we have lockdowns. You can't leave. Initially, the initial lockdown for for almost four months was you couldn't leave your house more than 10 kilometers away from your house. And we have this wonderful app that tracks movements and stuff like that. And it's no fun. It's stressful. And there's been a lot of mental health issues that have come out because of COVID. But in that, there's also been like a white flag movement. White flag movement is if you have got problems with food, if you've got problems with family, you put out a white flag outside your house and people will come and bring you food. On the other hand, you've had communities come together. You've had people find ways to reach out. You've had religious groups, you've had NGOs, you've had uh, in a private sector, all find ways to reach out to people, to get food, to get support to those people who would have been just cut off from everything, especially if you're daily paid workers, that means you have to work in order to get money. You're not getting any income. This type of initiatives by the community, you know, makes you feel better that governments may mess up, but human beings are wonderful. And people are actually caring for one another and they're filling needs that are being unmet by the government. Very much so. That balancing factor is that. That's heartwarming. You have been completely closed down at the university. We've had some situations here. I have a niece in college and they called her back to campus only to isolate her in her dorm and not let her go to classes. The classes were all online, but the kids were in the dorms. I didn't understand it. I still don't understand it, but that's been what's happening here in some universities. Some are online, some are back to school, even though this Delta variant is raging. It's so interesting. The responses are so varied. 
frankly, it's just really confusing. And I don't know the right thing to do for other people. I can only decide what's best for me. And that's based on the best information I have, which may or may not be accurate. People are just figuring it out as we go. And we don't have anything like a white flag movement here. I wish that we did. That would be very heartwarming. But we have some government assistance, some government programs, and we also have some people who are very scornful of people who are afraid to go out and do things. It's just a mess. And I do agree with the increase in mental health concerns. Sometimes I find it's people who are just alone. I mean, if you've been isolated for a year and a half in your own home, that can be crazy making. And if you're locked in a house with people that you don't necessarily like, that could be tough too. And add to that domestic violence and child abuse that people have no escape from. I can only imagine that it puts a big strain, not only on our medical community, but also on the counseling communities. Can I just lighten it a little bit? You talk about, you know, trapped with people you, you don't like. One <laughs> of the things we went into the original lockdown is new couples decided to live together for the first time during a bloody lockdown. And I was like, uh, don't. Yes. <laughs> they didn't listen. University students don't listen very well. <laughs> and then they want to kill each other a few weeks later. <laughs> you know, those are the few times as a counselor, especially if you know them and they're your friends or they're, you know, they're students. So they're like, oh, no, they didn't listen. And you're like, oh, you've got problems now. And they're like, you're so smug. <laughs> it's crazy so, that they can't A mile away. <laughs> I know, I know. It's so predictable. So in a regular year, not in a pandemic year, what do you think are the biggest mental health concerns among students? Among students, biggest mental health concerns, uh, we have when students are maturing, so you've got a situation where students are coming into university and when they are in their schools, they're sometimes the best students in their school. They are like number one. They are, you know, they're good performers. You're talking about Asian students. All of us are Asian students from different schools. And we've got parents who prioritize education to the max degree. They come from all these little schools and they're the best students in their school. When they come into university, suddenly you are no longer the best student. You are one of the masses and it can be such a culture shock. And that culture shock doesn't just come from people who are from villages or small towns coming into the university. It comes from the education system itself, where in school, you're taught, wrote learning, memorize, spit it out. But what university students are supposed to do, if you memorize something and you write it into a university exam, they will put plagiarism everywhere. You plagiarize everything. You're not having your own thoughts. And students could not understand that. A paper that would have got them an A in school was getting them a close to D or even an F for plagiarism in university. And it takes them a little bit of time to get adjusted to those type of challenges. When people talk about culture shock, the culture shock is not just in terms of whatever culture you're from or whatever small town, big town, different country, you're studying in a different university, in a different world. It's also from the style of studying. And just having all those people who are your peers or better than you in that same situation. That's one. And the other one, which is never ending with young people or old people or anywhere in between once you're more than 14 years old or sometimes less than 14 years old, is relationship drama. Uh, relationship drama. Oh, yes, that never ends. <laughs> that never ends. How about sexual assault? Is that an issue that you have on your college campuses? Not so much. There are situations you do get sexual assault, but I don't want to compare too badly between countries, but we don't get too many of those group 
you know, where it's a hazing thing and the sexual assault within the hazing. Usually those types of situations, it's boys with boys, girls with girls. There's definitely situations of rape and molestation among young people. Not going to deny that. But on campus itself, we have not had many cases. It just could be that in campus, they are more aware they're going to get caught. And we take victims very seriously, at least in my university. So maybe I should just speak for my university. We would take that very seriously. That has not been a major issue so far. I remember the last time that I was with you in Malaysia, you gave a talk about online danger with young girls in particular. Do you find that that's still an issue and how do you combat those problems? Oh, now when students are living online, it's even worse. Mm. Because one of the first things we got with Zoom and schools going to Zoom were people coming into those classrooms. So Zoom had to redo its platform because when people were actually having classes with students, you got externals who could suddenly slip into those classrooms. Online safety is one of the big issues. And it does come down to parents. It does come down to parents understanding what you're doing when you allow people online and you allow your children online or unsupervised. It's more work for parents, I do understand. But that's what being a parent is about, I suppose, looking after your kids, protecting them. I agree with that 100%. And what I find is many parents don't even understand how to protect their children online. And many don't even understand that there's a real risk. I was at a seminar with the FBI who talked about these people who are sex traffickers or online pornography developers. They'll pose as a person the age of the student that they're trying to lure in, and they'll ask for some compromising photographs. And once they have those photographs, one student thinks they're sending to another student somebody that genuinely cares about them. And then now they blackmail this person into doing what they want by saying, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to send these pictures to your parents. And those kids are terrified of that happening. So I think a lot of it has to do with educating parents about what's really happening and how they can help protect their students because students think they know everything and their parents are pretty stupid. We need to help our parents get more aware so they can educate their students. One thing about online is that it causes technology. There are technological ways to protect. That's stuff like net nannies, which actually blur out words if students use certain words that would actually give parents an indication that something is wrong. Now, oh, you know, but it's your privacy. Well, privacy comes with age, with maturity, and you have to protect. In those days, before we had online, parents would know all the friends and all the family members, and we never thought that if we are bridging their privacy to know their friends to know who is being invited into their rooms at night. Just think of it this way. When you have online, your children are inviting strangers into their rooms. So if you're not going to monitor, at least in some way, would you do that in a physical setting? And if no, we wouldn't allow them into our homes that way because you're allowing them into the bedrooms. You have to have some level of monitoring. And yeah, you are stepping on our child's freedom. Well, yes. We've been doing it since the birth of humanity because it's called looking after your kids so they can actually grow up. That's right. I know in your bio, we talked about you co-editing a book on multicultural counseling. Can you say something that you think are maybe the top three things to consider if you're a multicultural counselor and how to improve your skills in that area? Don't assume you know another culture just because you've got friends from that culture, number one. Mm. All right. 
because every culture comes across differently. So just be open to it. It helps to know people from that culture, but don't assume that we know everything. Number two, there is a uniqueness in the individual that goes beyond culture. While, yes, you will see a similarity of people from certain cultures, and it is there, but each individual within that culture is going to be unique, and that needs to be respected. I can use a very simple example, is people think that Hindus don't eat beef. Uh, that's not quite true. They are Hindus that eat beef. They are Hindus that don't believe in God, but they call themselves Hindus. This is something that some people go like, oh, but, you know, it's it not the same. their paradigm. Yeah, it doesn't fit the paradigm. And the third one is history is harsh. Understand that what was okay 10 years ago, 20 years ago, is not okay today. But that doesn't make the people 10 years ago, 20 years ago bad. We don't retrospectively go and blame people for the culture they lived in 10 years ago, 20 years ago. One of those things that we're doing now is we're doing that retrospectively. For what? What purpose does that serve except to create more victims? Yes. Deal yes. with people in the here and now. And if certain words, certain phrases, certain colloquialisms are no longer applicable or they are now considered to be offensive, don't use it. But then don't go and scold people for having used it in books 20 years ago. That doesn't make sense. I couldn't agree with you more. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for that. And could you tell us a little bit about your journey through life cards that you use in therapy and maybe tell our listeners how they might be able to get some of those? You get some of those from me. I'm basically the only place you can get some of those right now. But the journey through life cards are a series of cards which are based on culture. When I looked at cards on grief and loss and cards on death or cards on journeys through life, I noticed that people either tend to be very positive or very negative, and there were very little Asian faces inside it. It usually is blurred out altogether or the culture is just the same for everybody. So you don't have a cultural element at all. Religion is taboo. I come from a place where religion is just part of life. Certain people have it, certain people don't have it. People choose a card. You can choose whichever card you want. So in the deck, in my set of cards, if I know you're going to ask it, I brought a set with me. I actually have got a church, a temple, a mosque, the Chinese temple as well, within those cards. And all those religious houses are put in black and white. Yes, I only have those main four because Malaysia has those main four religions. That is one of the things that I included. Included are also symbols of death. So you've got very dark symbols, like I've got a picture of something that's dead, a few things that's dead, in fact. And then you see the card, you'll be like, oh. And then you get some which are creepy. There's this doll, which is looking into a mirror, and the doll looks quite haunting. Why would you have a card like that? Because that's what's our life sometimes. You know, sometimes we have these haunted moments. And then at the same time, I've got lotuses, I've got lights, I've got scenes on beaches, beautiful beaches. I got footsteps of two footsteps in the sand, you know, that part where you've got footsteps in the sand, one continued, one disappeared, referring to the Christian story. I have an image of that in the picture because that's what resonates with people. So I did a research with over 2,000 images at first, and then I chose and I went down to about 174 images, which then I did a research in the university where I put out all the images on the wall, all the cards which I chose, and I asked the audience to go and take away images that did not tell them a story or did not have meaning. So people walked around and they took it away and I reduced it to 99 cards. I couldn't reduce it more than that. So I have a pack of 99 cards and that's what the cards are about. So it's all about journeys, right? Each card tells a story and the stories are cultural-based, religious-based, life-based, 
Someone nice, you got a little puppy swimming desperately in a pool because that was my puppy. I put it in a pool. I've got some cute images as well as some very serious images. If someone wanted to get some of those cards for their own practice, how would they reach you? I'm on Facebook, Anasuya Jagadevi Jagadeesan, AJJ Hot Talk Counseling. Just send a message on Facebook, send a message on WhatsApp, even on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Okay, I'll put those links to your profile. WhatsApp is very expensive for international calls. It's free. It's free. I know it's the best invention. There was a time when I first started coaching, I was doing coaching by email with people internationally because there was no way to talk without it costing a million dollars. WhatsApp is the best invention going. I just want to give you a last opportunity if there's anything you'd like to mention that we didn't already cover. The world's getting smaller. And at the same time, it's getting a lot more complicated and larger. When I say the world's getting smaller, we travel so much. Now we don't even have to leave our homes to travel to different countries or to meet different people or to talk to different people. That being said, the complexity of the world, the issues that are now governing the world, every time you turn around, there seems to be a new problem that was just not there five years ago. It just didn't exist because the technology didn't exist. Technology solves a lot of problems, but at the same time, it creates situations And we have to understand this as human beings, it is our connection with others that keep us grounded. If you are in a situation where you can't have connections, the connections don't suit you, don't stay in it. Find a way to leave it. Toxic relationships are toxic. If we need to reach out, use the technology to reach out. Don't let yourself be stuck. That's one of the things I can say. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. I really want to thank you for being a part of the podcast today. I always enjoy talking with you. And I know that our listeners will be thrilled to be hearing a counselor from Malaysia tell some things about another country. So thank you so much. My pleasure. I hope it's useful. Oh, I'm sure it will be. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when I'll be interviewing Max Lestage about male adolescence and mental health. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz forward slash podcast. And remember to subscribe.